This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Ron Looney. Welcome back to Willard and Diz on 95.7 The Game. Take it away, Mark. All right, off we go. Um, and still sort of breaking down the developing news from pro football talk. Bill's Bengals won't happen. NFL currently figuring out how to configure the AFC playoffs without that game. Could an eighth team be added to eliminate the bye week for the number one seed? And hey, 49er fans, how do you potentially feel about that? If that happens, do they also add an eighth seed in the NFC? And if they do away with a bye, how hard are you trying for this one seed? This weekend in what's probably going to be a sloppy game against Arizona's second string or fourth string if you want to look at their quarterback position. All of the things uh, that are out there. But yes, it also potentially turns that Lions-Packers game on Sunday night into an actual playoff game and it would put up a huge number and don't think that the NFL isn't aware of that. Right, and I think if you do go to an 8th seed in the AFC, you'd have to go to the 8th seed in the NFC in order to make it feel somewhat equitable. You can't give just the number one seed in the NFC a bye and make the AFC number one seed play a game and then opening round and I think if you go to this temporarily, there's no going back, Mark. I mean, right? Like, I mean, if you're Miami, if you're Detroit, if you're New England, you're sitting there going, wait, wait, what? Wait, (laughs) eight seed? And then how would we feel if these teams ended up in the Super Bowl when they weren't even supposed to be in the playoffs? We'd get over it. uh, I mean, we Just like we do in baseball with the cockamamie five wild cards. We get get over everything. We got a guy at second base and in the 10th inning over there. I mean, let's get Mike Silver, our buddy, San Francisco Chronicle, and uh, always, every week here on... On, uh, on Willard and Dibs. Hey, Mike, what, what do you think about that idea? Is that actually something you think could happen? An eight seed just get thrown into this? I mean, I'm open to any and all. We lo- we, uh, I'm open to any and all. That's all we got. Which, That's it. Which we can take a lot from that. Yeah. He's I open mean, to anything, it, it, which I think is a wonderful thing to say. We can keep that cut for all questions uh, directed <laughs> exactly, to Mike Silver exactly. uh, going forward. Exactly. I, what do you how think do you about, feel about How do we feel about rooting for Stanford, Mike? I'm open to any and all. That's actually great. That's pretty funny. Uh, oh, God. Hey, we'll get Mike back. Uh, he's cruising around. But I don't know. Like, I, all of these ideas that get thrown out, I sort of immediately like, there are things I like and things I don't like. Well, think about, about it in terms of if you went to eight teams in both sides. So now you got three Saturday, three Sunday, and two Monday playoff games in that opening weekend because you're going to need eight games. Right now you got seven games. Yeah. You go three, three, and one. I don't know that you have to make it on Monday. I don't know what they would do. I think I you'd know. have. I mean, you wouldn't want to play any playoff games at the same time as right. other playoff games. So, right. as it is now with the seven, you got a triple header Saturday, triple header Sunday, and a standalone Monday. You'd have to go to a double header Monday 
and have somebody play like a matinee. It'd be like the baseball playoffs. I wonder. I wonder what they do. Let's get Mike back into the conversation. Go ahead, Mike. You you were saying about the uh, about the idea. Yeah, I mean, I just I don't get too worked up about any of this stuff. It's it's interesting and it will change the way we thought it was going to be. But it's it's just you know I I feel like when real life things happen, you know people start hyperventilating and they're thinking about the team they like and oh they would have gotten this seed or that seed like at some point they're going to have a tournament they're going to play games there's going to be a champion you know we've seen obviously with COVID we've seen a lot of uh, changes on the fly and I I remember in 2001 um, after September 11th when the league wanted to keep playing until the players who as always were the adults in the room uh, press pause and there was no one week or two week break before the uh, between the championship games and the Super Bowl that year, so they did not have a built-in cushion as they do this year. And the, the conclusion was, well, we're just going to only have four playoff teams and do away with the wild card round, which seemed extreme at the time. And I remember talking to Amy Trask, who was then the chief executive of the Raiders, and we were kind of just you know hypothetically problem solving. And I said, why don't you just move the Super Bowl back a week? And she goes. Oh, you don't understand the logistics. There's hotel rooms. You know, this stuff is years in the making. And besides, we looked into that and there's these car, there's a car convention, this car dealer convention, and they've got all the rooms <laughs> that next weekend. And I go, Hey, I've got an idea. You're the NFL. Pay off the car dealers. And uh, ultimately, that's what happened, which I think was probably made the most sense. But I mean, there's always a way to problem solve this stuff and it's not going to be perfect and you're going to live in a world of well what if this team what if that game had been played and the Bengals would have been this or the Ravens could have won the division or this team wouldn't even have made the playoffs if that happened it's going to be different like okay so people are still going to watch and you know it's not I don't think we should fixate on it in a in anything other than an entertaining way. It's very entertaining in the, so many different hypotheticals, including one possible scenario that was thrown out where the number one seed would get a choice of either a buy or home field advantage throughout. If you were going to devise the best way going forward, assuming that they're not going to play the Bengals and Bills game, how would you devise, Mike, the, the way to go forward from here? Uh, it sounds like a reality show. I don't know. I, I'm in, it's all interesting to me. I'm, I'm open to any of it, right? So you could do anything from, okay, that game never happened. We're doing the winning percentage thing that we were prepared to do in the COVID year um, or COVID years. Um, you could do that and just say, you know, it is what it is. You could try to workshop ways to get, um, you know, to have that game either played you could play that game that you know in week 19 essentially and then uh you know do the nfc playoffs that week and then have them take a week off and have the afc do it you have that built-in cushion because of the super bowl but you know i i don't know that there's a perfect way to do it i think you know other than getting a time machine uh you know it's not going to be clean so just have fun with it and do what you think seems the fairest, but, you know, I would urge all fans, you know, who see everything through the prism of fandom not to freak out if it didn't go perfectly 
for the team you love. Like, you know, life happens. Well, let's talk about the team that most of our listeners love, uh, the 49ers, and, and what you think is best for them. Is I know Kyle Shanahan has said, look, we're going for the one seed. And and, and maybe it is that simplistic. You, you want the one seed. But us fans are sitting here looking at potential matchups. One seed, you host all games. Your likely opponents are probably either the Giants or the Cowboys, followed by uh, the, the Eagles. If you're the two seed, you might get the Packers and, and then the Giants, but have to travel. Travel to Philly, the three seed. Maybe you're avoiding Green Bay. <laughs> yeah, you guys I mean, are. Like, you, guys, you guys are. You guys are freaking out too much. First of all, I think the Niners are the best team in the NFC. They should be able to win anywhere if they're at their best and their guys are healthy. Secondly, uh, you're completely discounting the possibility of Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, who have Kaiser Soze qualities, <laughs> somehow coming back to Levi's and throat slashing in a metaphoric sense and ruining the whole thing and I do not discount that possibility though the Bucks have looked awful and the Packers looked awful for most of the year and the Niners have had their way with Rodgers recently in the playoffs or, or for a while but you know what if I'm the Niners I'm feeling more comfortable against Kirk Cousins or Jalen Hurts or Dak Prescott than I am against Brady or Rodgers that's just me how much do you think they're going to push uh, on Sunday against Arizona? Will it be determined on how Philadelphia is doing and determined on what Minnesota has done in the earlier game? Maybe. Um, you know, if Minnesota loses and you can kind of scoreboard gaze and see that Philly is, you know, ahead by a decent amount, maybe you start pulling guys. You know, it's that weird balancing act. Kyle Shanahan really believe strongly that there's a risk in players pulling back and not, you know, being sharp heading into the playoffs, which, by the way, if you get a one, that's a week off. Or there's another scenario I just mentioned where there's a week off in the middle somehow. Uh, So you can you control what you can control. I think if it's anyone who has any pre-existing injury that you think could get worse, um, you err on the side of probably not playing those people. But Otherwise, you go. Now, the good news is this is a Cardinals team that should have the cars running in the parking lot. I mean, you know, if if ever a team would appear to be checked out, it's this team. Now, I know the Jaguars, who could have been checked out last year, crushed the Colts who needed to go to the playoffs. So it's not a perfect science, but I'm not expecting, you know, a a situation where the 49ers are – Super stressed, but you know we'll see. And if the Vikings win, then I think you got to win because the difference between uh, going to Minnesota for Week Two, albeit or, or for the that next round, albeit in a dome, versus having the Vikings come here, I think there's an appreciable difference. Uh, you know, in terms of what Kyle would want. So I think they're playing to win. I think they'll deal with the hand that's dealt with it to them. Uh, and I think if they're at full strength. Uh, barring, as I said, a Brady or Rodgers, you know, crazy rising up moment, I think they should be in great position in the NFC. Uh, Mike, I got something for you, and I, I don't even know how this works. Do you do you vote for uh, NFL Coach of the Year? I tell you what, I have no vote for anything. It's okay. one of the we- weirdest anomalies in, you know, in NFL media. Nobody wants me to vote for a thing. <laughs> uh, I am writing a column today 
concerning my feelings on who should be coach of the year. Yeah, I mean, I'll go ahead we'll and take a preview right yeah, here. We'll I'll, take a preview. I'll tell you mine right now. I think coach of the year around all sports focuses too much on the team that we thought was going to stink that actually achieved sort of kind of okayness. So this idea that we're moving off of Sirianni to go to Dable instead of the guy who's won nine straight with his with three different quarterbacks, what the hell, man? Kyle Shanahan's totally the coach of the year. Well, I don't know who's moving off what. I think Twitter's moving off, right? We don't really know how it's going to go, I, or the odds makers, whatever. Um, you know, I, I, I hear you. I've thought that for a long time, that it's too much of a, hey, you did better than expected award. On the other hand, we can't change that, and I don't discount that either. Like, I think Brian Dayball, I, I have no idea how that team won more than four games. And honestly, a lot of people in that building share that uh, belief. Uh, coaches, personnel people, players, they don't get it. So I think Brian Dayball is an A-plus candidate. I think Kevin O'Connell, who has won um, an NFL record 11 one-score games, uh, has to be in that conversation. Sirianni, you mentioned, obviously, I think Doug Peterson, pending the result of Sunday night's game, given the wreckage that was Urban Meyer and a potential division championship, is also in that conversation. Uh, I have some pretty strong feelings about the job Kyle has done. I will let people read about them in the Chronicle tomorrow, but, uh, you know, it, it is uh, it is an extraordinary situation when you have to play three quarterbacks, among other things. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Mike agreed. Tomlin as well. Yeah. Don't sleep on what he's done. Yeah, yeah Mike, uh, I yeah. mean, Mike Tomlin's just a, I mean... It's Tomlin. I mean, everyone's writing them off, and he's about to uh, extend their streak of winning records. Yeah, how, do you, how, do you, how do you go 16 years of the NFL exactly. without a losing season? And it's not like, you know, hey, they had Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. Like, Ben's great, but, like, they... It's crazy yeah. what he's done, yeah. and they're going to do it again. It's crazy. Mike, great stuff, man. Great Thanks, to connect Mike. with you again. We appreciate it always. Thanks, you guys. All right, there goes Mike. I look forward to that article. I, I like uh, Just real quick on that, and I know maybe there's some inherent bias to it. We're here, and, and, and we follow the 49ers, but are you kidding me? Three quarterbacks. Yeah. You got yeah. a shot at the one seed when you were three and four after seven in a weeks. Row. You've won nine football games in a row. You've done it with three different quarterbacks. <laughs> you're playing Mr. Irrelevant as a starter, and you're becoming the Super Bowl Giants to nine wins when we only expected them to get five. I yeah, like a lot of people did a great job. The the, the Vikings coach, he, he, he's a magic show. I, like they they're not even that good, and they're twelve and four. They've got a negative point differential. Like so, there's all kinds of great jobs that have been done, but the the award is way too focused on. We thought you were going to stink, and you don't. Now, when we think you're going to stink, and then you're the best. Gabe Kapler two years ago. Fine. Now you have to win. But the Giants are nine and six. They're going to be the six seed. Right. Right. Like, the last team <laughs> to the last coach to win Coach of the Year with fewer than ten wins is Jimmy Johnson, nineteen ninety. The Cowboys went seven and nine, and he was named Coach of the Year. But you go back last year, Mike Vrabel, twelve and five, Coach of the Year. Well, they were supposed to be a good team, and they were a good team. So. To me, a lot of these, especially the Coach of the Year awards, it's kind of a joke because what really makes the coach the Coach of the Year? Like, the things you're saying about Kyle Shanahan, I look at and I say, wow, that's impressive. That's yeah. why I look at yeah. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's 8-8, eight and eight, and Mike Tomlin has done it with Trubisky and Pickett 
and Mason they Rudolph. They thought about Mason Rudolph for a second, even. They, yeah. They've got nobody. Yeah, Pittsburgh, yeah. they stink, and yet they're in a situation where they might be a playoff team. Yeah, so, it's wild. Yeah, Nick Sirianni, you've done a great job. You've got the best team. You've got the best record. Doesn't mean you're coach of the year. I would look at Kyle Shanahan, and I think you make a compelling argument. You have Mr. Irrelevant at quarterback, <laughs> and yet your team's gotten better? <laughs> Right. What? Right. That's coaching. These guys have all done a great job. Everyone we're talking about has done a great job. Kevin um, Stefanski, Cleveland, two years ago, coach of the year. Yeah. And I, by the way, Dable may still win 10 games, obviously, if they win this yes. weekend. But uh, And if they do, the 49ers are going to be the one seed. Um, Brian Balding was on our station talking about this very thing a couple days ago. Here it is. You know, if you look at the roster, anybody better than Trent Williams? How many are better than George Kittle? How many are better than Christian McCaffrey? How many are better than Fred Warner? How many are better than Nick Bose? I mean, they've got eight elite players <laughs> yeah. on that roster that are as good as anybody in this business. If you compare that roster to what the Giants are doing, I mean, they, they have five guys playing on defense that weren't on the roster, you know, on Labor Day that are playing, you know. And, you know, their, their best player on defense, Xavier McKinney, on his bye week, rolled an ATV and broke, you know, I mean, <laughs> right. you know, he's got a broken hand. <laughs> so, I mean, it was just... so. I would say Brian Dable okay. right now. Yeah. The fact that they're in the playoffs and playing great football. Yeah, I understand that point. Here's the problem. Quarterback equals more than everything else combined in this league, and we know this. We know this to be true. You know what Brian Dable has? One quarterback all year long. But he's not very good. Well, uh, uh, And he's in, the t- he's he's in a much tougher division than he, what the Niners are These in. are all fair points. I, he should get votes. But, like, is Daniel Jones not that good, or did he show this year that maybe he's a little better than we thought he was? I, like, I mean, those things can both uh, be equally the, the, true. The, Shout out Ralph Barbieri. Yeah, the Giants he's not in. very good, but he is better than we thought. I don't think he's that bad. He's been solid this year. He's not Daniel a top Jones, 10 quarterback. Uh, statistically, this year he, well, statistically he probably is. fine. And Jared yeah. Goff is probably statistically probably <laughs> oh, the gosh. second been, or third best quarterback yeah. in football. He's been he, fantastic. Because of Brian Dable. Is it? Yes. How do you know? It's not like they're putting up a ton of points. What Brian Dable did with the Giants is he changed the culture. He he fed Which is be- coaching. He fed belief. Yeah, but you know what else is coaching is as it was put to me at the airport the other night. Brock Purdy, this is Kyle St- Shanahan with a joystick, and he just finally has someone who sees the video game that he's playing. Like, do do you really think have you all decided that Brock Purdy would be amazing no matter what team he's on? No, but no. I think that this team would be amazing no matter who the quarterback is because you've got so much talent around him. If you look at the rosters of the Giants and the 49ers, you could go player to player, man to man, and the Niners are probably better at every single spot on offense. That's probably true. And so now is that coaching? Maybe because he coaches these guys to be better players, but they have more talented players. And this is always my argument about Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr won Coach of the Year when they went 73-9, and and he didn't even coach the first two months of the year. So a lot of these Coach of the Year awards and these campaigns, they feel to me like the uh, the Gold Glove Award in baseball, where it's like, huh, this guy's a good defender. Let's give him another gold glove. I mean, uh, I'm looking at Daniel Jones' numbers right now. 67% completions, 15 touchdowns against five interceptions. It's not overwhelming there, but he also rushes. 15 touchdowns? Yeah, I know that's not a lot, Is it right? October? Well, but he rushes the ball a lot, and so do they. He's run for seven touchdowns. He's run for over 700 yards this year. Um, it, by far and away, it's his best year as a pro. Yeah. By far and away. In so, a contract year, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Works out well, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure yeah. does. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. 
Jimmy. Yeah. You just lost one of your possible destinations. All right, 888-957. That's true. Uh, 957-9570. So glad that you are with us. You can keep hitting us. Xfinity mobile text line in the comment feed, YouTube, and Twitch. All right, Brian Sabian's joining us in about 10 minutes. And before he does, we probably should check some of this out. Uh, Sabian with Mad Dog Russo. And this was a conversation that happened earlier today. And there's a couple things here. Sabian obviously is going to be remembered forever for, for what he built with the Giants. I think a lot of us also, you know, you probably didn't even know that he was technically still in an advisory role with the Giants. I had no idea, Mark. And then all of a sudden, he takes a job with the Yankees earlier this week, and everyone's like, oh, no, we lost Sabian. It's like, you didn't even know you still had Sabian. You all thought he was retired. Just admit that. But there's intrigue that has come out of this for sure. And we will ask Brian this, because it sounds to me, but I want to hear him say it, it sounds to me... Like there are some ruffled feathers with regard to his relationship with the Giants. Listen to this from Brian Sabian. No, I never left the game. I really wasn't a consultant. I was an executive vice president, more in emeritus status. But I, I guess people, because I wasn't in the line, I thought I disappeared. I, you know, I didn't. And uh, I guess that's the irony about coming to a team that wants and needs you. And, and I, I, I do think I have a lot to offer. Now I'm at a team that wants and needs you. I never left the game. I wasn't in an advisory role. He was in an emeritus role. I was an EVP, though. Like, Brian's like, I've been here. Just nobody's calling me. EVP emeritus. Basically, you're an executive vice president, and you can imagine him at his desk, and he's got the shiny shiny little nameplate of his role, and he's got... The three World Series trophy replicas using his paperweights. Not a paper on his desk. The phone is neatly put in the corner. He's sitting there with his arms folded by himself in a windowless office just waiting for somebody to come ask his opinion. Yep. Year after year after year. And he's watching Connor Joe in left field, and he's like, you know what? I don't think I like this. I don't think I like this. Um, even though Connor Joe's actually kind of good now. But anyway. Uh, that was an unnecessary drive-by. You just rat-a-tat-tat in <laughs> Connor Joe. Connor Joe's a pretty good player now. Um, his role with the Giants. How did he even end up with the Yankees? Listen to this. I was involved to the point where the draft was kind of my wheelhouse, and now that goes year-round as well as you start in February. It doesn't get open until July. I was seeing that I was becoming less relevant uh, in the big picture over time. I still had the same passion for the game, and I still wanted to contribute, mentor, give back, sort of but perhaps it wasn't happening here to my liking when my contract ran out. I you know, was very fortunate to put in the call to Cash and talk to, at length about how I could rejoin the club. And he discussed it with Hal and Hal approved it. And uh, it's good to be back in and have the face time. But- it's good to be back in. In the very next sentence, he's like, I actually never left. I mean, he felt, it's clear this person felt like he had just been left behind. And so how did he end up with the Yankees? He called them. Yeah. His contract's coming up with the Giants. He calls the Yankees and says, I want to go back. Can you get me out of here? Well, and he was there for eight years. Yes. Before he was with the Giants for 30 years, Mark. 30 years with the Giants. And the way you say thank you for your tenure is your contract runs out 
and he's got to call another team to try to feel wanted. Wow. This will really speak. If you don't like the way the Giants are being run now, and what I mean by that is just that this really, like, analytics buttoned up, Emotionless. robotic. Yeah. Brian Sabian. We were people-driven organization. One of the misnomers, which is very ironic. We stepped up as needed, more so through time, as far as the analytics movement. To them. We were in the cradle of technology, being in, you know, not too far from Silicon Valley. Uh, we could access anything, whether it was big computer uh, simulations or more so the people we had in-house. Uh, we also had uh, very key members of our front office staff in uh, Jeremy Shelley and Shaq Goldfarb that were very handy working with our IT people. So we were on the cutting edge of a lot of things that people don't know about that we didn't share because it, it, it you know it was it was private and proprietary. So that's what's interesting. You know, Bruce Bochy said the same thing when he came on this show. He almost gets uh, annoyed that people Definitely. are like, Man, when Bochy's just out there, he's managing with his guy. <laughs> you know what I think? I mean, let's go with Affelt. I mean, my gut tells me I should go to Affelt. Maybe I was just hungry but I, like that's not who they were but did you hear the first thing he said we were a people driven organization and whether the giants they make farhan would probably come and say today we so so are we like all people but did you see our roster we had 94 yeah. guys play last year <laughs> everyone here is a person <laughs> exactly. we're a people driven organization you see how many coaches we have but it doesn't feel that way no it doesn't feel that way. It feels like they are one gigantic Excel spreadsheet and everything goes through the computer and it spits out the answer and that's what we go with. And then check this out. We got more? Brian Sabian on Bruce Bochy and his departure and return. I think looking back, I don't want to speak for him, but perhaps, you know, he didn't go out on his own terms. I think as he did step back and travel through our minor leagues and still had a passion for the game, uh, he was going to get an opportunity to kind of do his thing with somebody that understand, you know, understood what it was about being associated with a Bruce Bochy managed team, then I knew he had one foot back in. Ironically, Young and him had a connection going back to the San Diego days. You know, they got along famously early on in the process and the rest became history. I don't want to speak for Boach, but maybe he didn't go out on his own terms. I, I, I listen. Well, I, I think that that's I, accurate. I, so do I. I mean, I, you so can kind of see that from the outside. Yes, and I, I, right. That's that's just a uh, gut feeling, uh, if, if you will. If he did go out on his own terms, he would have said the word retirement, and it would have been a completely uh, different departure. Uh, right. This this whole idea that that you know this. I, I mean, every time you see this, it, it makes me think of another thing you hear all the time when people go away or we want to spend more time with the family yeah with the kids okay look we all love our families who was that that did that recently well it was tom brady, brady. brady. Yeah, that's tom brady. And, then, and then two weeks later he's like so we've done that now <laughs> check that box <laughs> dean pease has done it yeah, twice right the falcons defensive coordinator Stan van, oh, gundy. Call, yeah. van gundy was famous for this i think he's retired to spend time with his family at least four times Look, you can have a job and spend time with your family, number one. But the other thing is your family won't like you if you're not bringing home money. Um, and actually, you can, as we all know, spend too much time yeah. with your family. And if they're not used to you being around, maybe they're <laughs> happier when you're not around. Okay. Brian Sabian joins us coming up next on Willard and Debs.
This is James Wiseman. And now back to Willard and Dibs. Look forward to getting back to you, Wiseman. Uh, get healthy. And uh, look forward to talking to this guy. I mean, such a familiar voice here for all of us here in the Bay Area. Uh, Willard and Dibs, glad you're with us and very, very glad that this gentleman is with us as well. Uh, Brian Sabian, so many years running the Giants. And I guess we should start off with just a, a, a sincere congratulations on your new gig with the Yankees, Brian. Uh, very excited, especially my wife and family get the chance to experience this. You know, there's only one New York. Only one Yankee organization, the history, the you know, the esteem. So it's uh, kind of a cool place and time for all of us. Yeah, no doubt about it. I also wonder this though, and then just listening to some of your comments so far, are you a little surprised at how many people thought that you like that you've been gone and 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 retired for a long time? Well, some of that might have been the product of COVID, or you know, travel was tamped down, or or that I was immersed the last three years, especially. With four years in, in counting with the with the draft, and um, you know the only thing that bothers me is that they did you know paint it as I was retired, et cetera, or that I was being paid as a, as a consultant. None of that was true. So. Yeah, Brian. I, I, listen, the, rest, the rest is history. Yeah, I mean, in, in listening to to what you just said there, and some of the the previous comments as you take this new gig, it. I'll just be honest with you. It sounds like you you feel like you were kind of dismissed or or just you know unloved by the Giants. How would you describe your your exit and your relationship? Uh, I think our relationship is good. I'm very proud of my stay. Uh, uh, I'm you know especially proud of uh, you know the connectivity as I stated the last couple of days with ownership, senior leadership uh, in the front office, the baseball ops department, the three managers that I worked with, their coaching staffs, uh, player development scouting. I mean, we, we had a good thing going. I have no extra grind. It, it became a situation where, where for whatever reason I was uh, you know, becoming less relevant. And, you know, I'm still a competitor. Uh, I still have a lot of passion for this game, a lot to contribute. Maybe more so because of the stage in life or just all that I've experienced from a mentoring, you know, give back situation. But now to be plugged in as an active member of the baseball operations front office, especially with the Yankees, is extremely invigorating. And what are you looking forward to the most in your new role? Is it going to be similar to some of the things that you did early on in your tenure with the Giants in terms of scouting? What sort of contribution are you looking forward to making with the Yankees? Well, I hope to be exposed to everything, and that's what Cash and I have talked about. We've discussed how the baseball calendar flows and what I would be doing from month to month. Obviously, that starts with spring training in Tampa in the middle of February. Um so it, it's going to be a work in progress, but uh, it, it's going to be refreshing. I know a lot of folks in, in uh, that organization and how they operate, and uh, uh, it, it's going to be interesting how I become a link in the chain. And that's all I want. I don't need to, you know, have a greater opinion or a greater voice or a title, et cetera. I just, I just didn't, didn't want to be uh, able to contribute. 
The great Brian Sabian is with us here on Willard and Dibs, 95-7 The Game. Uh, Brian, I, I also, I, I, you know, we heard your comments recently with regard to how much you were on the forefront of analytics years ago. And I think that, you know, maybe teams of days gone by, your teams, Bruce Bochy, uh, he said the same thing to us. Like th- this idea that you guys are just flying by the seat of your pants is wrong. And maybe the Giants and other baseball teams now, the idea that they're robots is also wrong, but I wonder what you would say about that. It, have we gone uh, too far and, and need well, to come back? Well, first the answer is I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up because, you know, if you take a step back and you look at what we did the three and five years or just specifically 12, uh, 10, 12, 14, and 16, we were playing against the field of Major League Baseball. And Lord knows there was a diversity of thought in a lot of organizations who are especially leaning towards the analytics world. So I would ask this question, how in the hell did we have the success we did against the field or people that were operating in this fashion if we weren't doing the same? We did a lot in-house, but we're in the cradle of technology with Silicon Valley down the street. So whether it was in-house and with people like Bill Schlaub, Dan Quill, Jerry Drobney, Paul Bien, Jeremy Shelley, Yeshia Goldfarb, all that you know contributed to what was behind the curtain. We also had access at any time to you know outside sources and consultants, and we could do any kind of independent study, simulation, uh, you know, models that need be. And it was a piece of the pie. I, I think what might have happened that painted us old school to a fault, and it wasn't Bobby's you know, fault per se, but one of his mantras was, quote, to modernize things or, or, or further step into this world. And I think that got construed that we were completely you know, on the other side of the fence. The other thing, too, that riles me, and I'm just going to digress for uh, whether it's me, but especially a manager. Nobody makes a decision or has an opinion from their gut. You know, your brain isn't in your gut. Um, It's an ironic statement because what happens over time is that you computerize and program your brain based upon the accumulative information or your experience or the past situations at hand. And then you have to have an agile mind to put together in real time the decision that needs to be made. So it's one of the worst ways to paint a picture of a baseball guy to say he makes decisions with his butt. Uh, excuse me, well, you might as well say that too. <laughs> you can say it about his gut. Because my, my, my point is, you know, that's how they paint scouts. No, scouts are highly intelligent and methodical about how they, you know, break down a player, write up a player, Project the player, uh, marry the statistics, et cetera, et cetera. You, you don't run around making decisions with your gut. And that, it, it riles me to no end. So long-winded answer. I don't know where this is all headed. Um, the one thing I'll say is that the world that we're living in now with the current game, and I'll just pose this. Nobody, I think, has articulated anything like this. And I, I, I have no ill intent, but this is a fact. The game has been screwed up so much by perhaps the new age 
wave that we had to change the rules of the game. Now, that riles me. It, it, it's, it, it's extremely upsetting that the overcorrection ended up being where it's almost unwatchable as a fan or that the games turned into the, you know, the now famous or infamous free outcomes. So long-winded answer. I'm glad you asked it. I need to get it off my chest, but it, it does worry me that our legacy or administration doesn't get enough credit for having the, the intellectual fire, firepower, the people like Coletti and, and Kidrow and, and uh, uh, Bobby Evans and, uh, you know, again, Paul Bien, Jeremy Shelley, Shia Gophar. Uh, we did a lot behind the scenes. We didn't toot our own horn. You know, we didn't promote our product. We, we laid low, and, and, and I think it, it worked famously for us. But pe- people have the wrong impression because they don't know the inner working. Brian Sabin here on 95.7 The Game. I appreciate the candor with which you answered that. I, I do want to talk about baseball in general because what you said, I think, strikes a chord with many fans, Brian, about what's happened to the game, the three true outcomes, and the shift having to come in. Is there a fix for this in terms of how baseball can get back to the game that we all grew up loving? Well, you know, every sport has specialization. In every sport, you have to you know, maximize your interest on the roster, you know. Maybe the end game is to try to figure out how to get a roster perhaps like the Braves, where you know, have all-around position players. They play 150 games. They post stuff. And you don't have to worry about, you know, covering yourself on a daily basis, whether it's platooning or, you know, every bat, every inning is a matchup. But we're going to find out in the next year or two what these new rules will force people into. Um, but what what I can say, which should be music to everybody's ears, including you know our fans, I don't think the game of baseball has ever been stronger, including on the amateur level. Now I can say that because I've been so immersed in watching young talent the last four years, whether it's what goes on now with these high school showcases travel teams and year-round baseball on that end, or more so the, the, the amazing uh, college programs and facilities and what they're doing with player, player development and, and promoting the sport. That We're in good shape. We we're starting to see a lot of athletes choose baseball, including the minority population, which is so important because we've lost a lot of these folks because of their athletic ability to football and basketball. But I think the scales have been tipped and, you know, also including Latin America. The the pipeline in most organizations are very strong, uh, you know, first and foremost because of the young talent coming in the game. Brian, I'm, I'm so glad you stated it the way you did a few minutes ago when you talked about what you, you, you kind of wanted to get off your chest. I wonder if we can ask you about something that Giants fans want to get off their chest, even though you had nothing to do with this. This current offseason has been such a wild ride for so many teams. Um, and, and obviously the Correa situation ended up being near and dear to a Giants fan's heart. And I think that now with what's happened with the Mets, it at least makes it look like, okay, the, the Giants did see something real. But here's what a fan doesn't understand. And as someone who knows the inner workings of a baseball team, maybe you can speak to it. How does a situation like that 
end up two hours away from a press conference before uh, something changes. Does that make sense to you? Should it make sense to a fan? Well, probably, you know, the general, but... Yeah. The thing thing you got to remember is that this is probably as unique of a circumstance as anybody's ever seen. And you're dealing with the best sports agent probably in the history of baseball that is very thorough and really promotes his players and and, and their product. Uh, The the one thing I'll say, I know our medical department inside out, including our team of doctors, they're the best of the best. And I also know from Farhan's upbringing with the Dodgers and Friedman and in Oakland with, with Billy that no stone was unturned. And to get a contract like this on the table, I truly believe they were in sync with ownership and everybody was on the same page. So I think it was a unique circumstance. I think it was a very difficult place to be in because you didn't want to rattle the cage of agent or the player's ability then to go elsewhere. Um, But I'll give him credit for seeing something that made him very uncomfortable and backing away. And Lord knows the Mets are having the same problem. Is the root cause of this the the pressure on teams to sign these monstrously long deals? Like you said, the power of the agent in this particular case, the most powerful agent in all of sports. Is there any way for teams without colluding to collectively walk back a little from these lifetime contracts? Well, the, the crazy thing to me, this type of activity has been dormant. And it's coming off a, a, a labor dispute in late agreement and then... You know, there were models and algorithms that showed as you age, the less want or need to sign people to longer-term contracts. So why now? And I, I guess the, the you know the answer to the question is the great ones or the, the you know the star players are going to get paid, and there's going to be competition. Now. And you know if you've uh, formed your budget or you, you've laid out your budget in a manner in which you can you know take it on and sustain yourself in and around it, then you make these moves. But I've never seen an off-season like this. You may never see another one. So interesting. Uh, Brian, again, congratulations. Uh, it's wonderful to have you. Really appreciate you making the time. And and I wonder, are, are you aware of how this hit the Bay Area? This is hard for some Giants fans to see you uh, head to another organization. What, what what do you have to say to to the fan base here uh, on on your way across the country? Well, I really appreciate it because you know you, you never know how you left your mark. You know, I wasn't the warmest or fuzziest person per se, <laughs> including in public or with the media. I am who I am, and but I'm very direct and I'm very honest and. I really appreciate our, our fan base. Um, I don't know if this make, makes any sense, but I'm an East Coaster. And, you know, our, our lifestyle back there, our passion maybe is a little bit different or, you know, off the chain at times. But San Francisco to me was uh, an East Coast city as far as their sports teams and especially the Giants. And we were so formidable when we had that part. Uh, packed, and they were so appreciative of a good product or a championship team. You know, I'll never forget my time there. It, it flew by. Um, you know, I, I, I wish everybody well. I have no 
you know, ill feelings in any form or fashion. I, I wish Larry and, and, and the current ownership and Farhan and his administration uh, the best because I'll always, I'll always be a giant. But now that my Yankee, uh, one thing I don't have to worry about anymore is the Dodgers, at least in the short term. I guess I got to start worrying about the Red Sox. Right. Yeah. Well, Brian, we're getting a ton of messages basically asking us to thank you for your time and everything you brought. And personally, I just want to thank you for all your interviews with the late Ralph Barbieri and how much uh, entertainment you brought to the airwaves over your years. Well, I'm, I'm so humbled by, you know, how this has played out the last couple of days. And trust me, there's a lot of emotion involved, but... Uh, as the world turns, uh, I'm, I'm glad that, that baseball, you know, has a place in time for me because I'm not a dinosaur yet. I'm not extinct, so I still have something to get back. Uh, Brian, all the best, and and truly, yeah, from all of us, thank you, and 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 just best of luck out there. Thanks, folks. All right, there it is, Brian Sabian. Yeah, I love the candor. Woo. I mean, you know, and I'm really glad that you reprised the question about analytics and uh man and he he said he was long-winded he could have gone on a lot longer about oh, uh, the offense and <laughs> of course he could do the 11 o'clock hour with us and i don't think anybody would blink right i and mean he's one of those people when he speaks you're just like i'm stopping right now well in 30 years with yeah. the giants and he's done it all he drafted all those guys that came yeah. up to be the winners and i think part of it too is just Bruce Bochy's demeanor made you feel like, yeah, you know, you know what I mean? And it's not just your impersonation, but not that Bruce isn't a smart guy, but I'm going to go with my gut here. And, you know, and the fact that, of course, these guys use all the analytics. You I'm know? telling you, I don't know that a lot of fans know this. Do you understand? Bruce Bochy and Brian Sabian and that whole crew. When you tell them, hey, they went and they did it the old way with their gut. Right. They're offended. It's not that it's like intricate and there's some truth to it. They're literally offended. Each one of them has come on. It's like they feel like you're calling them dumb. Exactly. Like they're just exactly. guessing out here and they guessed right and woohoo, won three World Series. But like Brian said, you know, it's not like we were managing with our butt. Right. <laughs> you know, we Which to, is an all-timer. It's an all-timer. That's sticking here on 95.7 The Game forever, ever. But yeah, they're not They're not doing this with their butt. They're not doing it with their gut. A little Dr. Seuss here. Right. I mean, yeah. And uh, they're not doing it with their uh, nut. I, listen, I don't... They're not dumb. And he said something that I've thought for a long time, actually, with regard to the Houston Astros cheating scandal. Do you hear what Brian said? He goes, do you think we're just out here going, hey, totally. let's go with uh, Lopez. What the hell? And we beat three different times. Exactly. Teams that are in the lab trying to figure out what's the right move at the right time. He goes, that's ridiculous. And I've said for a long time, it's the same thing with the Houston Astros. And they're banging on the drum, and we're like, okay, they know what pitch is coming, and all the other teams don't, yet it still took them seven games on the road to win over the Dodgers. Stop. They're not yeah, acting alone. Doesn't These make teams sense. Are, everything's a copycat league, and they're all essentially doing some form of the same thing. Right. So he's basically saying, yeah, we did it with our gut. We did it old school, <laughs> and we beat up. the other 29 teams <laughs> that all had computers and all this technology and all this know-how, yet somehow we did it the old-fashioned way, yeah. and we were able to win three and five. It is a ridiculous notion, but I, I think a lot of that comes from the homespun demeanor 
of the manager, Bruce Bochy. But, man, Brian was getting a little emotional there at the end, and you could hear it kind of yeah. hit him in real time. And I'm glad that he said what he said about the last couple of days because the outpouring of emotion. And you mentioned it earlier, Mark. I didn't realize that he was still, you know, a member of the organization and you know he was he was an executive I, I, vice I mean, president. I knew he was a member, of, but I didn't know. At least in his mind, he was supposed to be involved, an advisor. He's supposed to, exactly. be, he's supposed to be there on on the ground floor, talking to people. And and he clearly felt like that wasn't there for him. Although he was very very clear. And I wondered. I didn't know what he was going to say because Brian shoots from the hip. You know, he follows his gut. Uh, right? No, but he, he's an honest person. I didn't know what he was going to say about the Giants, and I felt like he went out of his way uh, to say, look, there's no, there's, there's no hard feelings yeah. here. It went that way. I don't know why it went that way, and I'm thankful now that there's somewhere else that's going to hear me a little bit more. And yeah. that, can, that can still, and I think it is. To me, I think that can be a little frustrating and confusing to, uh, to a Giants fan. Um, but he also uh, he also basically said, "Look, not only no hard feelings. I thought his his take on the Correa situation was pretty clear. That he's like, look, this is a first rate group. Yeah, they're smart. They, they they saw what they saw, and and the Mets are seeing it too. And and so look, yeah, I, I found just about everything he said to be pretty damn interesting. Yeah, and he said also that he's not quite ready to be put out to pasture, so he's going to an organization where he started his career, and now he has a chance to to do." What he loves which is go out and scout and give advice he doesn't have to be the front man he doesn't have to be the guy getting credit he's a guy who loves baseball now he can go out and scout watch baseball advise brian cashman and be an east coast guy again i'm happy for him all right 888-957-9570 plus the uh, xfinity mobile text line twitch and youtube uh we'd love to hear from you on what stood out to you with brian sabian but also coming up next, circle back to a frustrating Warrior game and the latest as information continues to come in on what the NFL is going to do about these playoffs in the absence of the Bills-Bengals game. Stay with us. Uh, 957thegameshop.com is where you can get your gear, your hoodies, your t-shirts. What are you doing? Relevant shirts. DPOY. Faye and Sam Bruno, thank you. Bought a couple of relevant t-shirts just earlier today. So 957 in the GameShop.com is the spot. It's Willard and Dibs. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.